0: Welcome to the Profit Cast. I'm the coach Levi Landrian,
1: and I'm the player Luke McCarg.
0: And we're here to bring you our unique perspective on local college and pro sports.
1: So join us as we dive into the headlines and stories that you need to know.
0: Well, we're back. It's been a busy summer, but we got another episode of the Cast coming at you live from the lake. We hope all of our listeners are enjoying their summer, and we are back to catch you up to speed on what's been going on in the sports world since we last visited you. Luke, what's happening in the world of MLB?
1: Well, the Yankees currently have the best record in baseball at 40-15. and 15. They're led by Aaron Judge who is leading the MLB in home runs, just having himself a really nice season. The Houston Astros are leading the AL West. They are getting some great pitching, as well as a great season from Jordan Alvarez. And in the National League, the NL West is wild as usual, with the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants all having above 500 records, the Dodgers currently leading at 35 and 20. Also, the Mets have been a nice surprise. They're thirty-eight and twenty right now with one of the best records in baseball.
0: Casual fans are hearing a lot more about a guy called Shohei Otani. You want to give us a quick update on that guy and what he's been up to this year?
1: Yep, Otani is hitting both is playing both pitcher and batter as usual. That's definitely not the technical terms, but that's that's what came out of the mouth, so that's what we're going with yep. the 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 pitcher and the batter. Yeah. So
0: he does it both.
1: Yep, and it is a very rare thing to see. The only player who has done that and had any sort of success, really, in the MLB is Babe Ruth, and everybody has heard of him. So mm.
0: yeah, pretty special player. Is he having a, <laughs> having a pretty good year so far?
1: Yes. Uh. Just kind of like last year, he's having a nice year, 11 home runs so far, and pitching hasn't been quite as great as usual, but there's still a lot of time to get that ERA down from 399, and yeah, that's pretty much what's happening with Otani.
0: Yeah. So that's the baseball world. Also basketball. We haven't recorded an episode since the beginning of the NBA playoffs, and now we are... Not quite in the middle of the playoffs, but we are we are in them. We got Game Three coming at you tonight between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. And uh, by by the time you listen to this episode, that game probably will have already been played. But it's been a pretty dynamic series so far, and really, it's the second really back and forth series that the Celtics have been in. They had a really they had all the way to Game Seven in the Eastern Conference Finals with the Heat. I want to talk about that real quick, uh, but. Tell us some of your thoughts on this finals matchup that we got, Luke.
1: So it's a really interesting matchup. The Warriors are led by shooters in Curry and Clay Thompson. And the Celtics are really empowered by a great defense with Grant Williams and Robert Williams and Al Horford and Marcus Smart. So it's kind of an interesting, like... Warriors a very good offensive team compared to the Celtics a very good defensive team.
0: Yeah, it is. It's been a really fun matchup to watch so far. Back and forth games. It's it's split 1 and 1 right now. So we're going to have at least 5 NBA finals games. But this this looks like the type of series that could go all the way to 7. So keep your eyes fixed on that one. And as I had mentioned before, I want to I want to get some of your thoughts on this because as I was watching the Eastern Conference Finals Between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, again, that game went all the way to seven. It was back and forth, but there was a lot of blowouts in it. Like one team would win far and away, and then the next night they would just get destroyed by the other team. And one of the things that I was thinking about this was it felt like a a really good completion to a story As far as, uh, we we love sports because we love stories. You know, all-star games are not the most popular. They may have the most talent, but we like stories. We like to follow teams all the way through the season. We like to follow teams from year to year. That's why a lot of us can get frustrated with bandwagoners. It's like you haven't been riding with the team. You're just jumping in when it's convenient. But what I really liked about that Eastern Conference Finals was the fact that it was between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. When the Boston Celtics won their last NBA championship in 2008, they kind of ushered in a new era of super teams in the NBA. They had Paul Pierce, and he had been great for years, but they brought in two other superstars, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, and those three dominated the league and won the NBA championship. They were the best team in the East until they were defeated by the Miami Heat, who put together their own super team of LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and D. Wade. And teams have been chasing that super team model ever since because it had worked so well for those teams. And we've seen it go all the way out to where we just see Brooklyn with no really function or good coaching or anything like that just throw massive superstars there, and they lost in the first round of the playoffs this year. And so when you look at Boston and Miami this year, both teams, neither one was the type of team that fit that superstar super team mode they had a lot of young talent they had a lot of developed drafted talent that they had worked and put together over the years and boston has really only one superstar i mean like luke said they're a very defensive team miami is a really good defensive team too they have really just one star in jimmy butler and that's but, why
1: it was such a physical series
0: exactly and it was it was defense which is so fun because again with the with the superstars and the super teams we've seen just a lot of prolific offense um high efficiency three point shooting has gone through the roof over the last decade but it's been really it was really fun to see that defense does still win championships and team basketball does still matter and yes the warriors are a good team and they've been there before but they're they're very different than the last time they were in the finals uh, they, and, and their first rise before they got Kevin Durant and went on some very prolific runs, their team was built on, on ball movement. And, and yes, they have Steph Curry, who is arguably the best shooter the NBA has ever seen, but they are first and foremost, a ball movement team basketball, and really not a bad defensive team as well. So I've, I've really enjoyed this final so far, and I'm looking forward to watching some more good basketball.
1: Yeah, and what you're kind of seeing is uh, maybe possibly a new era coming of the super teams maybe going away a little bit and some of these younger teams taking over, and all of this has happened during my lifetime since I was born in 2008 when the Celtics won their last...
0: exactly well and and if you've uh oh young luke once you've been around as long as i have you will see certain trends in sports they they come and go and this is definitely part of what happened with nebraska football for the longest time they couldn't get over the hump they were really good throughout the 80s and 90s but never really won the national championship they revamped their offense they started running option football and then it really took off they were winning championships left and right and the option was so hard to stop Teams finally started to be able to defend against it. The option was not nearly as viable of a, as an option offensively, so that style of play went down, and as did the the winning percentage of our of our deer huskers um but but you'll see this in lots of other things you know offensive schemes will come and go, different position levels will rise and fall um, but that's because it's an ever changing you know sports you you learn and you adapt and the style of play is always changing. It's really fun to see something that at the, at the first part, at the start, looks like, well, how could anyone ever stop three of the best basketball players in the world getting together? Well, clearly they did this year because they didn't even make it out of the first round. So that's, uh, <clears throat> that's, that's our little segment on sports history for you today. So now moving from what has been to what's going to happen. Okay, Luke, I know you're a big Celtics fan. Is this going to cloud your judgment or give me some picks? How do you think the rest of the series is going to play out? Like I said, we got a game tonight, but how do you think the series is going to play out?
1: Well, if the Celtics weren't going to win the series, being a Celtics fan would cloud my judgment. But in this case, it doesn't matter because the Celtics are going to win whether or not I'm a Celtics fan or not. Sounds a lot so... like your Bucks picks. <laughs> So, the Celtics are going to win the series and be NBA champions once again at age 0.0, 0 and age 14 for me.
0: Gotcha. Okay. How many games is it going to take it? Are they going to take it in five? Are they going to go all the way to seven? What do you think?
1: I think the series will go to seven. I just, these two teams are so evenly matched, in my opinion, I I can't see. And just so different with... The Celtics great defense and the great shooting of the Warriors. There's so much there's so many different things that could happen. I think it'll go seven.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast today that was talking a little bit about the health of some of these players and health, but also with the Warriors. Um, Clay Thompson was in a shooting slump last game and that can really affect them a lot. They still won, but he needs to get back to firing efficiently offensively if they want a chance at winning it it really is I think a tight series so I think it could go seven games but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Warriors just because they have the experience they know what to do in these types of situations obviously that could all change if Draymond Green gets another technical and gets a suspension that I I, I don't think they'll win if Clay doesn't figure out shooting I, I don't think they'll win if if any of those to or Steph Curry or Jordan Poole if any of those guys get hurt I don't think they could win it just because it is that tight but at the same time in order just to take it seven I think Boston has to have all of their guys healthy um, because they really rely on all five well really like 12 deep really for good defensive play and and playing hard basketball for the entire game so I also think it'll go seven but I'm going with the Warriors
1: yeah, and this series also depends on the Celtics shooting a lot. It happened more in earlier series of the playoffs, but the the Celtics would either win by 20 or lose by 20 because they would be shooting 70% from 3 or 20%. So that's that's also another key factor. If Grant Williams, you know, has a great game and then a bad game, but mostly Jason Tatum has been so up and down these playoffs with uh he'll score 40 today and then he'll score 10 tomorrow so it's kind of it's a difficult balance but ultimately the celtics winning the first game they haven't lost back-to-back games all playoffs so i i don't see how the celtics won't win it
0: well stay tuned and keep watching and you will see which one of us is right levi's got the warriors luke's got the celtics All right, the last segment that we're going to do for this podcast, I want to reach out to our listeners. This isn't something we do often, but we would love to hear feedback from you because, as Luke mentioned earlier, he was born in 2008. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is Frank Solich. Luke was alive for none of his games at Nebraska. Um to be completely honest, I myself went to my first Husker game in 2004. The coach at that time was Bill Callahan. He was Frank Solich's replacement. <clears throat> so most of my Husker memories happened after the era of Frank Solich. So this is both Luke and I speaking about a coach that was largely before our time, but someone that we have heard a lot about, read a lot about and are pretty pretty qualified to have opinions on because he's someone that definitely shaped culture and opinions at Nebraska. So the reason we're talking about Frank Solich is that he has been nominated to the college football hall of fame. And this, as, as I heard this, I saw, I saw it on Facebook and Facebook can be a a dangerous and volatile place, but I did not see nearly as much pushback as I thought I would. And I, I, I'm here to push back because I do not believe that Frank Solich should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Before I go on anymore, Luke, what do you think? Do you think Solich should be in the College Football Hall of Fame?
1: I personally do because when you look at college football these days, it is so hard to hold a job in one place for a long period of time. And Frank Solich had that Ohio job for something like, I don't know, 20 years. Not quite that much, but something around there. And to hold a job at one place for that long is just so remarkable. I think that he should definitely deserve a spot in the College Football Hall of Fame.
0: A lot of a lot of people referenced his time at Nebraska and his winning percentage and how well he did at Nebraska as the reason why they think he should not just be in the Hall of Fame but should be first ballot. I want to push back against that because I think that unless you are willing to water down the College Football Hall of Fame, then the coaches in there should be champions and proven winners and coaches that didn't just stick around for a long time but coaches that really made their teams better and proved that it wasn't it, it was because they were good coaches. Now, Frank Solich helped Nebraska's offense and and was a really good assistant and a lot of players speak very highly of him, but as far as a head coach at Nebraska, he won one conference championship. And yes, he was at Ohio for a long time, but when was the last time you actually watched an Ohio football game in primetime? I mean, they're they're not when was the last time you saw Ohio in the top 25? There all I'm saying by that is he he did not coach well enough to get another Power 5 job. He when he won, it was with Tom Osborne's players. And if you think if you I mean, please Listeners of this podcast, if you think I'm wrong, please tell me how I'm wrong and and let me know because I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about this because I am just blown away by the fact that he's even getting votes for this because he won with Tom Osborne's players and then he went to a second-rate school and did okay, won 63% of his games. But I don't think that's worthy of getting into the College Football Hall of Fame. If it is, then you need to put Bo Pelini in there. Because he had a really good win percentage at Nebraska. He went to Youngstown, made the playoffs there. So he had success elsewhere at a smaller school. But nobody not, is asking... Not the
1: kind of success that Frank Solich had.
0: Did Frank Solich make the playoffs? Did he make it to the national championship game at that division at Ohio? Because Solich... Or because Pelini did in his second year at Youngstown State. That's, they were in that's their divisions. That's not FBS, though. They were in their divisions that's, championship. It's a different...
1: It's a different level there. Youngstown, Youngstown is... Youngstown is fcs ohio is fbs in the group of five which is and this is if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you know that i think group of five teams do not get the respect that they often deserve so i think part of this is flaws in the college football system itself and group of five teams not being valued as much as they should uh so I just don't think you know Youngstown success at Youngstown is still not the same thing as success of, at Ohio, um, which you know it sounds like I'm just you know being really specific and picky about this, but 16 seasons at an FBS school is different than go, uh, that an FCS school.
0: So do you think that per level? Frank Solich did, in the FBS, what is similar to the FCS making it to the National Championship game. Yes. By by what merit?
1: Because it's such a higher level of competition in the FBS than in the FCS.
0: So sticking around for 16 years is similar to making it to the National Championship game at the next level below? Yes. I disagree. Um, I I think that when you look at what an fcs school can do they can win all their games go to the playoffs win all their games go to the national championship game win the national championship game Bopolini did all of that but one when you look at what fbs schools group of five schools can do what can they do really the the height of what they can do is go undefeated and miss a chance at the playoffs well they can go to the playoffs like cincinnati did um so really uh, long shot at the playoffs is is would be similar to their national championship. The next best thing would be to go undefeated and and make some noise. He didn't do that. So he didn't get the second highest achievable honor in his division. When you look at winning football games. And when you talk about longevity, that has a lot more to do with the, the Ohio politics. I mean, they were if they were happy with winning 63% of their games, great. There's a lot of people that said, and, and I heard them say this after my first Husker game. We lost to Southern Miss. And there's not a lot of people that said, "Oh, if Solich was still here, he would have he would have won that game." Talent at Nebraska was declining sharply. Frank Solich was a good coach, but he wasn't nearly the recruiter that Tom Osborne was. Tom Osborne brought in the greatest players that college football has ever seen to Nebraska. And they won and absolutely dominated. And some of them stuck around and helped Solich get to a national championship game, win a conference championship. But once they all graduated, once they all aged out, they he had a 500 season at Nebraska. There was still a lot of winning culture, so they still did pretty well. But he probably would not have done better than 5-6, and six, which is what Bill Callahan did in his first year with all of Solich's players there. Now if he had stayed around and we've I mean we can live in what if land all the all the time. But if Nebraska had stayed with him he would not have gone away from option football. Or if he did it would have been a total rebuild and there's no guarantee that he would have done any better over that span over the span of 4 years than Bill Callahan did. And I think if I remember correctly Callahan was one or two games over 500 in his time at Nebraska. In 4 years Solich probably also would have been 500. And at the time, Nebraska was so, so mad to have two losing seasons in four years, they ran Callahan out of town. Now, I'm not here to defend Callahan by any stretch of the imagination, but Pelini came in right after that, after four years of Callahan with all of his players in there, Pelini came in and won nine games that very next year. The year after that, he was in the conference championship game, and then he was... and. The, the refs gave that to Texas because they were promoting a conference that was dying. But that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast. But Pelini was not at all supported by his administration. Clearly, he was a polarizing player and could have done better to, to be a better leader. But when you look at just winning football games, he did just as much, if not more, than Frank Solich. So if you're putting Solich in the College Football Hall of Fame, you need to put Pelini in right behind him. And I don't think Pelini should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't think Solich should either, with one conference championship really as his only major accomplishment besides not getting fired.
1: And I'm just going to say this now, just going just gonna to try to end this. I think a Solich coached Ohio team would beat a Pelini coached Youngstown team nine times out of ten.
0: Well, yes, because that's just like what you said. It's different divisions. But I think a Pelini coached Nebraska team would absolutely destroy a Solich coached Ohio team.
1: Yes, but that's because Nebraska is on another level than Ohio.
0: Right, and Ohio's on another level than Youngstown State. Yes. I'm just saying, comp- compared in division, if you only look at them at Nebraska, if you only look at Pellini in Nebraska, and you only look at Solich at Nebraska, their win percentage is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Pelini did not have a losing record. Solich had one season where he was 7-7. Seven and seven. Otherwise, they were 9-win guys all the time. So, But... Is is being and and this and this goes back to what we were all saying as Nebraska fans when Pelini was our coach. Is nine and four good enough? And most Nebraska fans felt like it wasn't. And because we want more, we because Tom Osborne got us so accustomed to being dominating that we wanted something more. And that's part of the reason why Solich was fired as well because he was consistently winning nine games a year. But we want championships, so we swung for the fences, and we missed. And you look after Pelini, we tried swinging for the fences again to get a better coach in here, to get us better than nine wins, and it hasn't happened. So, I don't, I don't think that either Solich or Pelini getting fired was the instant fix for Nebraska. Clearly, we can see that now. But does that make them worthy of being in the Hall of Fame? I just don't think so. I think that if you really want the Hall of Fame to mean something, you have to have done more than win one conference championship.
1: And I think, I think the whole Hall of Fame discussion is something we need to get back to because
0: we can definitely do another podcast on that. Yeah,
1: because I, I just, I don't think it's like a sure thing that Solich should be in the Hall of Fame. But I don't think it's, like, clearly no way. Like, I think that it's definitely at least worth putting some serious thought into because of the longevity of his career and just generally general success. Mm -hmm. And we never know what would have happened if Solich was stuck around. I, I honestly don't know this. Do you know how long it took Osborne to... Win a national championship? It
0: took Osborne seven years to beat Oklahoma. So it, he didn't win his first national championship until, I think it was his 21st year of coaching at Nebraska.
1: So give Solich but, 21 years and what do you think would happen? But
0: Osborne, I think, won 15 conference championships.
1: Yes. I I just think, just like you've heard, um, you didn't hear anybody after you lost to Southern Miss, they, oh, I bet Solich would have won that game. But I have heard a lot of people say, um, like when people were when they're thinking about firing Scott Frost, everybody is saying, didn't you learn from Frank Solich um, when you fired him? Because I think there's a high percentage of Nebraska fans that think if we would have stuck with Frank Solich, we could be in a whole different place than we would be right now.
0: There's, there's more to unpack there for sure. I got opinions about that. So that just means we need to do another, another episode soon. But I think we'll wrap it up for tonight's episode. Um, thank you for listening to The Prophet Cast. And we will see you guys next time. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But remember,
1: God made you special. And, and he, he loves, loves you very much.
0: much. Bye. What's up, everybody? This is the coach, Levi Landrigan. And this week, Luke and I are going to do something a little different. We're recording sec- separate podcasts because, in honor of Father's Day, we wanted to do a tribute to fathers and specifically our own dads. So, this is my episode about my dad and and really all dads because anyone that has watched sports for any amount of time knows the impactfulness of a father the the amount that a dad can shape a player and and the sport in general from little league to well the the first coach pitch baseball team that most people are on is you know the dads are the pitchers they're they're actually they're with you they're playing the game with you dads teach you how to throw a ball they teach you how to catch my dad spent hours and hours in the backyard throwing punting throwing the football till his shoulder got hurt and then punting the football till his leg got tired just spending hours with me playing pickup basketball football you name it dads all all over the place dads are often some of the first ones that teach and do sports with their kids Dads have impacted all sports in many ways. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, spoke very highly of his dad and the impact that he had on his life and his game. Tom Brady, nobody's got more Super Bowl rings at quarterback than Tom Brady. And his dad was very impactful in his life. And dads are impactful even, even if they aren't there, even if they're not specifically a, a good influence on their sons or on their, on their athletes. Draymond Green who just won a championship with the Warriors which I picked and Luke got wrong but anyways Draymond Green has often spoken about how he wants to be a better dad than the one he had or didn't have his dad wasn't around when he was a kid and that's part of why he struggles with um, respecting authority whether it be coaches or or officials or whatever it may be He's had to overcome a lot because his dad wasn't around when he was young. He He's overcome a lot, but it's been difficult for him and, and difficult for anyone that doesn't have a dad. And on that note, and because of that, Luke and I wanted to talk about the impact of fathers and, and specifically our dads. So let me tell you about my dad, Paul Landrigan. My dad, as I mentioned already, was, was the one that, taught me how to throw a ball, taught me how to catch, uh, but I, what I want to start with is my my dad took me to my first Husker game on September 11th, 2004. He took the whole family, but he had two tickets in one part of the stadium and three in another part, and my mom and my two other siblings went in the other part, and I, I just got to hang out with dad, and as the middle child, that didn't happen a ton. But Dad and I went to that football game, and it was it was on September 11th. It was a very patriotic celebration. It was my first Husker game ever. There I am, 11 years old, and was just blown away by all of the people chanting and cheering, and and it definitely changed my life. It's it's silly to say that about a football game, but it really did. Um, it really got me zoned in on the game of football, which has shaped. A lot of my life since then and and because of my dad I didn't just look at the game of football as a game but I looked at it as a way to learn life lessons I that was also the first year that I played football and my dad was the assistant coach the next year I was a sixth grader it was fifth and sixth grade football and the next year as a sixth grader my dad was the head coach and this is when he really started to show me the life lessons that can be learned through the game of football. I was not a big kid. I was pretty skinny. But Dad had me go in on the offensive line because he, he knew that I, I would work hard and I would try to block guys that were even bigger than I was. And he, he knew it wasn't a glamorous position. You know, I, I would have rather been uh, a running back or, you know, a tight end where I could have caught a pass or something like that. But my dad had me go in there and, and on the defensive side too, playing on the interior. Even though I was a little guy, my dad believed in me, and that meant so much knowing that my dad believed in me, the skinny little kid that didn't know much about football, to go in there and make a difference in the game. And my dad's confidence is something that has always driven me. I'm a pretty confident person, and that comes a large part from my dad. He's He told me many times when I was young that, that he believed I could do anything. He believed I could be anything. And, and when he said it, I believed it. And he really supported me as, as a coach and and as a dad. Throughout the years, he, he worked a lot. Um, and I worked a lot with him. But I got to see his work ethic. We had cattle growing up. And we worked a lot with cattle. But that work ethic carried over in the field and and on the court and it shaped who I was as an athlete I was I was never the biggest I was never the fastest or the strongest but there weren't a lot of teams I was on where somebody else would outwork me. I could I could run the hardest. I would, I would put in the extra effort. And I would try to encourage my teammates to do the same. Because my dad had set that example of work ethic. And I wanted my teammates to follow along in that and giving it their all and doing their best. Not just during games, but during practice. So that we could try to be the best team that we could be. My dad was such such an excellent model of work ethic but also but also integrity of of doing the right thing about being being honest and he showed me that through through his life through through his work through working side by side with him but also debriefing after after games Uh, as I as I got into high school I had lots of frustrating moments on the football field and and I remember one in particular where we had played a really tough game. We should have won. We way outgained the opponent, but through turnovers and penalties, we ended up losing by two points. And I was I was so frustrated. But my dad helped me realize that, that there's more to life than football. In that in that moment I was I was mad at him, I was mad at the sport, I was mad at God. Football had let me down and my dad helped me realize that through that I was I was putting too much on football. Football's a great sport, but there is much much more to life than football. And that was kind of a wake-up call for me. My life was definitely very centered on football, and my dad helped me to reevaluate after that and and kind of recenter my life. Another moment this has to do again with the Huskers which we love talking about the Huskers on this podcast but the Huskers had lost a game and I, I if I remember correctly we had the the town the local town theater had rented out uh, somebody had rented out the, the theater in Broken Bow and we were watching a Husker game and they lost and I was so frustrated because I knew that we should have won that game and my I came out and my dad had made some comment to me and I just said I don't want to talk about it and he he called me out on it. He said you have made you've made Husker football an idol. You need to not have that attitude. And he was absolutely right. I I should not have been that mad about a football game. My dad brought that perspective to me every day. He showed me what in life is worth getting worked up about and what in life is you you